Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, not just another unicycling monkey. Are you, though? I think you kind of are, though, right? <laughs> Those lines aren't for you to comment and judge. Oh, just so okay, you know, sorry. Like, they're just throwaway lines, Andy. You, you, I just had to comment on that one, though. All right, I'm Pete Wright, your deleted scene. <laughs> Pete Wright, my uh, my monkey on a unicycle. Today we're talking about Minute 52, which begins with crickets in Italy and ends with a monkey on a unicycle. Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Joining us back on the show, we have the Movies by Minutes regulars, Travis Bowe and Robin Burge. Hello. Hello there. Howdy. So, um, <laughs> this is this is the best, I mean, really, the cut from yesterday's minute to today's <laughs> minute, like, just leaving on that dead silence as the crowd just stared at, at Steve. It was just fantastic. Um, let's just talk Especially about this scene. first line. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> <I guess> right. <laughs> Tough crowd, tough crowd. Especially because you could have started the the transition at the back of the crowd with the text reading, you know, November, Italy, you know, that you could have just started there. But I love that they gave us the just that little bit. Yeah, it's just so much fun. Um, we are on a, a stage at a camp um, five miles from the front, it says. And uh, it, you know. It's very vague as to where this actually takes place. I'll, I'll try to figure that out as we get later in the minute. We see some maps. Very hard to tell. This was filmed, actually, in the forests uh, in the Bourne Wood. Uh, you will see these forests again in Thor of the Dark World and Avengers Age of Ultron. Uh, the forests are outside of Farnham, southwest of London. And that's uh, apparently a very popular filming place for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, so that's where we are. I We're thought I recognized Steve. that third tree on the left there. <laughs> right. It looked so familiar. So familiar. Um, so, okay, we're getting into this USO tour that's now moving overseas. Uh, I did some digging about the USO tours. They had these, they were called the USO Camp Shows. It was a sub-branch of the USO. They had four circuits. They had the Victory Circuit, the Blue Circuit, the Hospital Circuit, and the Foxhole Circuit. The Victory and Blue Circuits uh, did um, stateside tours uh, entertaining the military and the hospital circuit obviously was uh, visiting wounded. The foxhole circuit was the troop that went overseas. The first tour happened in October 41. And this is where, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit um, about um, when we're doing our montage, but people like Bob Hope, the Andrews sisters, Dinah Shore, all those different people were uh, coming and entertaining the troops. Marlena Dietrich actually was somebody who came out on the foxhole circuit uh, popping up in Europe. And she did two USO tours uh, during the war. And what was interesting is it, it says this was a quote in Library of Congress. The first was to North Africa and Italy, where she became the first entertainer to reach rescued soldiers at Anzio. During her second tour, uh, lasting 11 months, she entertained near the front in France and Germany. So I, I can't imagine that there's any sense of kind of what we're getting here. But the fact that we're in Italy... Uh, that there's this Anzio. She had uh, was entertaining rescued soldiers at Anzio, and Steve is going to rescue soldiers at Azano, or that had been taken from Azano. I was like, I wonder if they're like trying to like match this up. You know, sometimes they're trying to fit right. it into real things that had happened. I'm like, yeah. is Marlena Dietrich on this tour with Steve? I don't know. Hmm. I just I like to think that now. 
And why doesn't she come out? That's all I want to know. Like when he he has some issues, he leaves, and he Marlene Dietrich should come. Perfect out. time for Stanley there. cameo as Marlene Dietrich yeah. comes out. <laughs> There's so a, that just that just put something in my head that I never want to think about. <laughs> so. I really like where we're going here. Is better Stanley cameos <laughs> than the Stanley cameo we got? Like we should do a whole podcast on this. Stanley in drag as Marlene Dietrich. <laughs> Looking so, somewhat like the uh, female gremlin. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> anyway, sorry. There was a bit in uh, – I did a bunch of research about Jack Kirby and specifically his time overseas when he when he went to fight. And there was a bit there about a USO thing coming to, to, near, to their base. And I want to say it was Marlene Dietrich. It, Oh, okay. I, I, I could be wrong, but when you said you know that name, it's like I I think there's something there. So just a little real world possible connection. I mean, huh. and I was surprised to see them actually use USO here in the movie. I, I would have just assumed you know that they just wouldn't just just in case there was any conflict there for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah, there are many points during this, uh, at least, you know, the war stuff where I'm wondering, like, are they just kind of talking around things? You know, you don't want to get too specific and, yeah. and maybe offend somebody that, you know, their, their right. grandfather died in this. And or just legal clearances. Sometimes it's, it's easier to yeah. avoid having a USO logo than, you know, putting it there, but. That's yeah. I wonder what the legalities are of that in a fictional story like this that's set in the real world. Um, in you know during World War II with all of this, we all know that USO tours were a thing. I, I just wonder, yeah, where's the line as far as like? I mean, I guess they're not showing it in any bad light or anything, so it's yeah. to that end, it's probably fine. And I mean, the USO is still around. I mean, they're still entertaining troops around the world, and so yeah, I mean, I. I, I'm sure they probably were like, hey, it, it's great to, you know, let more people, you know, know that we're doing these sorts of things. And who knows? Chris Evans might have even I wonder if I'm going to have to look and see if Chris Evans actually ever went out on a, a USO tour. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, he has. Of course. He there has. you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Was that Ron Howard? <laughs> Chris, Chris Evans, you Boy Scout. Oh, wait, Captain America. <laughs> he was actually teased for his small size on uh, a tour that he did in 2016. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, that's <Aww>. fantastic. <laughs> so, all right, well, let's talk about this scene. So this, so we get this moment. Chris, uh, Steve is completely ill-prepared. The script <laughs> isn't lining up with the audience. And the audience is not reacting the way he's expecting. How does this play for all of you? What does he need a volunteer for? Like what? Like if a soldier came on the one stage, is he going to lift him up or is he going to punch yeah, him right. in the jaw? Is Dance with him? <laughs> or does he do magic tricks? Like it's that part of his act. Maybe. I like to think that he's doing strength demonstrations. I think that would make sense. I yeah. would think so. Yeah. But uh, the I already volunteered. How do you think I got here? I think that's a solid comeback. <laughs> it is great. Yeah. That was a great heckle. A, a, ace burn. Mm. I, yep. I think all of the burns are good and that we actually define why he needs a shield when they start throwing <laughs> crap at him. <laughs> that's right. amazing. Such a great use. It's always someone with eggs and tomatoes at a speech. Yeah. Well, I counted, and he got a Rotten Tomatoes rating of three for this show. So. <laughs> uh, they looked pretty fresh, though. They didn't look yeah. like Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> 
you guys really burying yourselves with this joke. Like, let's move on with it. It's 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 no descant. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Another question I had is like, I mean, these things were tours designed to entertain the troops, right? Are the girls really going to come and only have one song? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I was like, really? Or yeah, I had a problem with that. But if this is their bit, you know, I'm sure they're probably used to getting this slot between Bob Hope and Marlena Dietrich. So, yeah, they would just probably come out, do the one song. Maybe he would do a little presentation, little feats of strength or something. Yeah, I don't know. It would be interesting to see how they adapted this show for a, a US, USO audience. And, yeah, what is – why have the same shtick? Because you're not trying to sell bonds to soldiers, you know? <laughs> what is the – yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that probably shows, for me at least, how disconnected Steve is from this whole event. Like, he he might legitimately not know that the girls actually have a lot of acts. Like, they they have a lot of songs that they that they do. He really doesn't know because they're performers and they perform. Like, if they're professional performers, they they're gonna know more than one song. But the fact is, he really like they have not planned at all for this show in this context. And I think that's a that's an important thing for us to know just how uncomfortable it is for him that he is such a fish out of water here and it happens very quickly and then he draws his monkey and then we get to move on. It reflects poorly on Senator Brandt because I imagine he is the one behind like, yeah, we got it. We got to send him, send Steve overseas, you know. It'll be great. You know, that sort of. Well, yeah, because I imagine for from his perspective, it's the photo opportunity. Let's get right. Captain America out there with real troops. Yeah, they'll you know, love Entertaining him. the troops. They'll, yeah, they'll love him. And that will just get us even more Series E bonds. I mean, that's his whole thing. Because um, I, I was wondering, like, why is Brant's aide still with Steve, like, over here in Italy? Like, is he a road manager now? Like, <laughs> what a weird thing for an yeah. aide to be doing. You think that they would just hire, like, the, the tour people and they would actually be running this whole thing. But no, it's like his aide is still there. Like, I, I just don't understand kind of the relationship with all of that. So, But uh, to that end, it just has to speak to, like, how much Brant is really relying on every opportunity with this super soldier to just sell more bonds. Yeah, I think Brant sees Steve as his golden goose. You know, he he wants to keep him, but he's not going to go, you know, five miles from the front. Right. So that's why his aide's here. I think his aide would even be saying, uh, do I have to go? <laughs> I have to call attention to uh, Nice Boots Tinkerbell, uh, mm, number yes. one, that Peter Pan hasn't come out for 10 years. So I don't know how much Peter Pan was in the public consciousness. <laughs> and also <laughs> Tinkerbell didn't wear boots. Uh, <laughs> so wrong on both. Tinkerbell could have been a pre-existing phrase of of someone who dances around, you know, twinkle toes, that sort of yeah. thing. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, anyway, homophobia is alive and well in 1943. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and you know, it's interesting because we were doing a uh, uh, a count uh, that we started with uh, Father David when he was on of like the how many times. They, they called the troops ladies or mm. things like that. I can't remember mm -hmm. how high we got. Maybe only uh, up to three, not that high. Uh, but I, it makes me think that like this Tinkerbell line might be the next thing that fits in that in that yeah, grouping. Yeah, it kind of fits in. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, Peter Pan was around. I mean, there was a play, yeah. uh, the, the, the novel and the play, but the film. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, what are they? I don't know. It is a weird thing to reference Tinkerbell of anything. I guess it's just because he's 
you know, singing and dancing, but still, I feel like there's probably a better reference that they could have pulled. Snow White out by now? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even think that's out. Uh, the character who calls out Tinkerbell is, of course, Gilmore Hodge, who uh, we saw back in Boot Camp, oh. uh, played by Lex Shrapnel. So he is back. Uh, I don't know if I ever actually made the connection until now that he is here. I, I oh, really? Always, I've always seen him later when they come mm. back in. Um, but I think this was the first time that I go, oh, he's actually one of the people who's heckling him, which is kind of fun. I, I wish when you get him later, when he sees you know, Captain America return with the troops, spoilers, I wish he would see him and, and say, Steve. Right. You know, have that moment of recognition of like, Rogers, you know, the guy that I was in boot camp with there. Yeah, we're never given like there are moments like that, that like there's opportunity for these people to have that recognition of this is yeah. that person that I knew when he was this scrawny guy, like the loud jerk in the movie theater, like mm-hmm. Gilmore Hodge, like we had opportunities where they could have set something up for us so that we had those payoffs. I mean, I guess we don't need them, but still, especially in the case of Gilmore, like a, it would have been a nice little moment to to have with him, I guess. I'm looking at the Google Ngram viewer, which searches Google Books for mentions of terms, and I can tell you with Google's authority <laughs> that the word Tinkerbell began being used with some uh, searchable, indexable frequency in 1942, uh, but the play Peter and Wendy was originally published in 1911 or 1904. 19, so it's been around a long time. Tinkerbell was around a long time. And I mean, from 1942, shot up. Lots of people talking about Tinkerbell. Calling so, people Tinkerbell. For what it's right. worth. Publishing, the word publishing. So it was in the vernacular, I'm just saying. Like, okay. for some reason, you know, the the word was out there. And I, I'm fascinated by that catch that... that now I'm thinking, okay, when this this USO tour was in, what year did you say this was? 40, 43. Three. Tail end. They are really leaning on this language that is very, very new culturally, like over the course of a year, especially without, you know, internet. We're talking about people who read and these soldiers, who knows how long they've been in the war, like how long would they have had? opportunistically to hear and read and integrate the word Tinkerbell into their vernacular. I'm fascinated by that. That's an awesome catch. Yeah. All right. Back to whatever you were <laughs> Well, I, I mean, but to that end, though, I do think it's interesting that uh, terms like that get they they end up, especially in places like the military, as just a slang that they pro- probably throw around a lot, uh, you know, when they're, uh, you know, make, making fun of each other and things. And so... I wouldn't be surprised if that was a term that happened to just latch on in the period in that context. And so to that For end, people who hadn't read yeah. the, the original play, but maybe they were read too when they were kids or something. And yeah, I like mean, the, play, I, the book had been around. So. I doubt Gilmore even knows if Tinkerbell wears boots or not. Yeah, that's, that's a good <laughs> It's not quite yeah, accurate. He yeah, he really <laughs> celebrates the boots of the bells of Tinkle. Tinkle. Tinker? Tinker. <laughs> Tinkle bell. <laughs> the tinkling bells. <laughs> Tinkle Bell is the word. Oh my god! <laughs> Tinkling Bell. That is that is a uh, a fairy with a bathroom prop. <laughs> Tinkle Bell. Oh, god. Uh, and I gotta say, how do we get off of this digit? Uh, where where I'm are trying we? To, I'm trying to help. <laughs> okay, go ahead. The, come on, yeah. guys. We're all on the same team here. He's. I'm surprised he doesn't get like, if not like showered with tomatoes, uh, like lynched <laughs> right there. Just like, are you kidding me? Like. <laughs> I've lost my buddies left and right, and you're up here 
you know. Right. Yeah. We are not on the same team. Just, I love yeah, how yeah. it shows how unprepared he is. They they probably just psyched him up like, yeah, these guys are going to love you, Steve. You know, don't worry about it. Just, you know, do your little song and dance and it'll be great. And he has no training for this. And so he just he defaults back to trying to appeal to their humanity. They just, you know, I, I'm with you. That's that sort of idea. But just doesn't work when these guys are mostly made up of survivors of a hellish conflict. Yeah, it, it speaks so much to the puny Steve, like the mentality of little Steve in this situation where, you know, I mean, he really hasn't been in a situation where he's able to actually do much combat and put his super soldier uh, powers to use other than like lifting a motorbike. And maybe he's lifting people as kind of a, you know, a, a sideshow demonstration sort of thing. And obviously he, you know, stopped Kruger, but really he's not actually doing anything to show what he can actually do. And so I think his brain, his mentality is still probably so much that little puny Steve, like his psyche, that he's he's he isn't he feels uncomfortable in this situation where he's with real soldiers and he, you know, feels like that little guy who still doesn't quite fit in. Well, especially the way he blocks those tomatoes. He looks like someone who's afraid of getting hit, whereas, you know, this time next week, instinct is going to take over and he's going to trust what his body can do here. Yeah, he doesn't know what he can do. But, yeah, you're exactly right. He's he's still the little guy. And I like that. That kind of is is shown right there and uh i mean it probably wouldn't have helped if he had said i can do this all day when they <laughs> were throwing tomatoes at him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we have four hecklers that are credited um we've got the one guy who calls out at the beginning bring back the girls he stands up he's so far in the back that there's no way i can tell who that guy is Obviously, Gilmore is the nice boots Tinkerbell. Uh, we've got the guy who pulls his pants down and moons Steve. And uh, then we have the tomato people. I don't know which one is which, except for Luke Allen Gale. He is the mooner. I can tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, the one face that I actually could recognize is the guy who's who mostly isn't showing his face. But. <laughs> well, I got to say, unlike uh, Love and Thunder, I appreciate that they cut away from the buttocks. They just cut away from those. <laughs> you don't need to see those. Yeah. I was, is this our first almost butt view in the MCU? <laughs> I, don't, um, I can't remember. Tony didn't do anything like At this point, probably. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think Tony did a butt view. We had Tony in bed. Was there a butt view, though? I no. I don't think so. I don't think so. And well, we this get... is a conversation we should move on from. Yeah, so... yeah. Anyway. How much got, of Vanner's uh, clothes did he lose? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but the hecklers are Ronan Raftery. Nick Hendricks, Luke Allen Gale, who I mentioned, and Jack Gordon. Those are the four who actually got credited. So, um, and, you know, I, I looked them up. None of them have have uh, kind of big careers, robust careers. Uh, so I didn't do the IMDb game with them. But it's nice to see. And like so many people that probably are filling what we're looking at right now, they're all from the United Kingdom. So makes perfect sense. And then at the end of this, uh, we go to, uh, you know, Steve gets off the stage. He has this brief conversation with the with Brant's aide, who is still trying to pitch him like, this, this is going to be great. They're going to love you. It's like, does this, I, I just, I mean, he is the worst at selling all of this. 
Um, and I love the shot. It's, it's a very interesting shot that we get as Steve leaves the back of the stage and it kind of, uh, tilts down to his feet as he goes down the steps and all the dancers are coming up the steps. It was just an interesting shot. And I, every time I look at it, I'm like, I wonder why Joe Johnston chose to do that. And I can't help but think that it has to do with kind of like the feet and just the nature of like all the performers and like all these women in these, in these fancy dancing shoes. And of course he's wearing these big red boots. It just felt very performative. Did that shot catch any of you or is it just me? For sure. Every time I, I play through this and I've got it looping here as well, but yeah, every time I watched it for taking notes, yeah, I, I just, it lingers on, on him going down while, while the ladies go up. And yeah, I wondered if there's something significant about that. It's the visual punchline to the Tinkerbell it joke. It is. Yeah. That's what I think. I guess. Yeah. Like, what's the difference? Right. It, yeah. It's got a, we're lingering on the silly boots. Mm. Yeah. That's, yeah. it feels, it, that's, I, I, that's how I've always seen it. Sure. Nice yeah. boots, Tinkerbell. Yeah. Yeah. They are nice boots. They, they are really nice <laughs> boots. <laughs> and I, initially, when the three ladies come on stage, I think it's the same three that he holds up in the motorcycle at, in the previous minute. I was I was trying to figure that out because it is the three, the USA helmet ladies. They're not in the same order. Well, yeah, it looked like we have like here we have uh, two brunettes and a blonde. And from what I could tell, it was, it's very hard to tell because the shot starts moving away from them right away. It looked like there were two blondes and a brunette. And so I couldn't quite tell if it was the exact same three or if I was just kind of misreading the way that they looked. I think it was. I know in, in this when they're on stage on the previous minute, they're clothing went red white and blue here on the stage it's like uh blue, red blue, red, blue white. and white or something like that so they're kind of out of order but i think it is the same three yeah well um they will return we'll have more of our us usa ladies all right well we're going to end this minute with uh it is now raining and uh we see a drawing somebody is drawing a monkey with a shield in a Captain America outfit on a high wire with an umbrella. And, it's got to be Loki. Um, <laughs> Loki's doing it. <laughs> I think we should save our conversation about the monkey for tomorrow's minute. Sure. Um, unless there's anything I have one particular. Thing. Yeah. It's not related to the monkey, Andy, oh. but I, I uh, you know, when I get a chance to talk about microphones across history, I just have to mention, I cannot find the specific manufacturer of this microphone. What we're looking at is the microphone he's talking into is a classic ring and spring microphone. Uh, it was one of the early era of electric uh, microphones. And um, it, it was a company, Western Electric was a company that ushered in these these microphones. And where we are, like the, the era of these microphones ended really in 1945, right? Because then everything went magnetic. We figured out magnetic uh, capturing sound magnetically, which gave us the next three decades. So this microphone, most of the microphones from Western Electric that really you know, started this thing. They, they started being released in 1925. They were a, adopted uh, widely in the thirties. And then by 1945, we're looking at the beaten up remains of these like public address microphones. And so that's what we're looking at likely here. It is uh, very difficult to find the one he's using here because it's got a square frame around it. And most of these have round or octagonal, uh, frames on them. And so, um, I, but I find that very interesting. So there he is, Ring and Spring, Western Electric microphone circa 1940, nice. probably 1935. 
that's all I have to say about that. You may move on. <laughs> no, no, it's it's actually really interesting. It's a, it's a cool design that you rarely see with. Yes, uh, with very that. rare. So rare, yeah. it's hard to find. Yeah. <laughs> Be a real flex if I came onto the podcast using one of those, right? <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that would be, that would be an amazing. Guess what flex. I have? Yes. <laughs> Check out my ring and spring. <laughs> ring and spring, spring. <laughs> All right, uh, Robin and Travis, remind everyone uh, what you get, what you two are up to, and where they can find uh, the different shows and things that you're working on. You can find me on uh, Real Comic Heroes. That's my regular uh, comic book movie review podcast where we. Started with uh, Superman and the Mole Men from 1951, seven years ago. And uh, as of this recording, we just uh, re- reviewed Steel, the Shaquille O'Neal comic book movie. So. <laughs> from what, 97? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. A lot better than I thought it was going to be. I saw it. I don't remember it very well. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't, I don't have, I have no comment to that. <laughs> Young, I came out when I was a projectionist, so mm-hmm. I, I saw I pretty much everything that we were projecting, and I know I watched it, but it, it's one of those I'm like, just don't know. I believe that has a young, wheelchair-bound Annabeth Gish, correct? Sure does. <laughs> Highlight. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I am, uh, I'm hosting Karate Kid Minute, a minute-by-minute breakdown of the Karate Kid franchise, including bonus episodes where we cover Cobra Kai episodes. Uh, and also, I do Superman and Lois TV Talk, which talks about the CW series, Superman and Lois. Fantastic. Well, check all that out. We'll have uh, links in the show notes, so you can just click on it. It'll take you right to their site, and you can check them out. We'll be back tomorrow for Minute 53. So, Pete, thanks as always. Maybe tomorrow you'll meet the Ring and Spring Man. <laughs> Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega. And this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. <laughs>